that. Hey everybody, newsflash. We'll get to the introduction later. I'm going to repeat what I just said so we can have Kyle suss this out in real time. <clears throat> I'm going to say it again. My dentist from L.A., where I haven't lived for three years now, four years maybe, um, still leaves me a personal voice message every year on my birthday and Christmas. That, that is fucking insane. That is the wildest shit I have ever... Why? I couldn't believe it How? the first time it happened. And I was Much like, less... I must still be on their rosters or whatever. And that's obviously still the case. But, yeah. I mean, you know... How could he have time? I don't... Dr. Lim is... He's professional. Also, I've never met him. And I think it is a family business. So maybe he's like, you know, the people he's hired and... And the people who are going to eventually take over doing all the, the dentistry work. And maybe his job is just to be in the office and, like, be the handshaker, keep things all moving. Um, and that involves a lot, a lot of phone calls. And you know what? Like, if I were to move back to L.A., like, the main reason I went to that dentist, honestly, is because it was in walking distance of my apartment. Prime prime uh, category there. But also... Yeah, you uh, could never go anywhere else. How could you? How could you betray Doctor Lin like that? Exactly. Like, I, if I if I got back, it doesn't matter where I end up. Doctor Lim's number one. Like, ah, oh, he was great. So, anyway, this is the Big Bang Theory theory. Hi, I'm Nick, and I'm Kyle, and we're doing um a rare weekday recording session. Which is it? This how we even got into the dentist stuff. I was commenting on how we almost always do this on Saturdays, but. Kyle and I, as we, we find ourselves having occasional actual real life obligations, and I gotta emphasize occasional, um, we're doing a, a midweek Wednesday record, and I find that our, our pregame talk, <laughs> we're just like, how is your job? What's up with dentist visits? Those are great. And um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not bad. It's, not, it's just so different being in work week mode and not, you know, party animal mode. Have you, how's the weather today? Have you uh, looked at the stock market recently? Boy, it goes up and down sometimes, doesn't it? Man, I I do, when I go to work in the morning, listen to NPR on the way, and they have the little stock market updates, and every time I'm like, I, I don't know, it goes up and it goes down, and I don't, I don't understand. Like, I know what it means... In the big picture, I know literally how it works, but I do not know how you live in that system that you're just like, well, things have kind of, depending on which part of the market you're in, either wildly fluctuated and will wildly fluctuate or have been incredibly steady and will be incredibly steady. And then there's this middle ground and this is my life and it's incredibly lucrative. <laughs> Um, I'm just jealous, I guess, that I don't get to be a part of that, in spite of listening to NPR every morning and recognizing that numbers go up and down. Yeah, it's it's more fun if you ever listen to Planet Money, because they play, if when the market goes up, when they're recapping the market at the end of the day, they play a little bum bum, and then when the market goes down, they play a little womp womp bum 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 while they're reading the numbers. I like that. You know, I, I like it when I'm told how to feel because it takes a lot of the work out of my brain um speaking of being told how to feel i guess i don't know we actually watch this television show is the 
the real basis of this podcast and in a placeholder name we've refused to change in the last seven years uh we we're just putting the extra theory on big bang theory and uh today we watched season seven episode 13 of that show which is officially titled the occupation recalibration and it is in you know it is tact it's it's a two-parter it's part two but in not in a in like a pretty thin way i'm not even saying that in a complainy way honestly it's just like they are independent episodes that happen to have one crossover event so it is not yeah. like two halves of a whole no and Nor, with, in fact, does anything actually get resolved at the end of this episode either, really. No, no. Actually, so, you know, I didn't text you ahead of time because I didn't want to influence how you felt about it. But the thought I had immediately after watching this, I was like, in a way, it's kind of incredible that after seven years, I could still manage to be disappointed. Like, it's, <laughs> is that on the show or is that on my naivete? But in any case... And I'm also, I want to clarify, not like, I don't know why I'm being defensive here at all. This isn't a terrible episode at all. Like, this isn't one of those ones where I'm like, boy, nobody, like, could, like, everyone in the writer's room was sick, and so they just had to, like, throw something from the bucket. But no, it's, it's just, I don't know. Like, there was one scene we'll eventually get to, which I, uh, I, when I was watching it, I was like, ah, this would theoretically be good if they did it well, but, you know, and that was, like, the most positive thing I could think. Okay, so I'm going to actually write, read the, uh, as, as is recent tradition, the, the fan wiki short summary, which, for this episode, reads, <clears throat> Penny makes a major change in her career. Leonard is struggling with words to support her. Rajesh and Howard help Amy when she gets stuck with a date from a geology department employee, and Sheldon is again forced on a vacation. Meanwhile, Bernadette accidentally destroys one of Howard's comic books. All of those things are correct, and but they are misleading in the sense that they suggest much happens. Um, and so, Kyle, I don't know. Okay, I, here's, I'm just going to go stream of consciousness this time. And uh, start with, I was happy and satisfied with Brian Posehn as a guest star. I am frequently so irritated with any guest appearance. And honestly, when I first saw him, I was like, uh, he's not going to live up to his potential and it's going to bum me out. But uh, I don't know. I am pretty good. I was happy with him. And so I'll start out there. And um, yeah, well, actually, Kyle... Speaking of this part of the plot, we're just going to start with, I guess, what's like a C plot in this episode is that, yeah, Brian Posehn plays someone who it works as um, in the geology department who all of a sudden, you know, while Raj and Howard are talking with Amy in, in her lab, he stops by and is like, oh, hey, what's up? Here's a cool piece of quartz. See you later. And they're both, you know, are like, oh, she's he's totally into you. Amy, obviously completely oblivious to this, but when um, confronted with the evidence, it's like, oh, God, it's true. What do I do? And so uh, he does persist in asking her on a date. She initially is like, okay, I guess I'll do it because I don't know how to exactly say no in this scenario. But then with the help of uh, Raj and Wallowitz, uh, they, they take a bullet, I guess, and say, you know, we'll handle this. And we're going to let him know that you're in a relationship and let him down easy. 
but on the way out of the lab, they both say, we're just going to tell her he's gay, tell him he's gay, she's gay, right? Like, right, of course. And presumably they do so because the the, very, the final scene is uh, the two of them in the car with Brian Posehn, who is getting really, honestly, kind of weirdly, maybe this is the best thing about him. Is he, they're this, on... this is, It's the only good part of, well, I shouldn't say, but yes, it was easily the best part of the episode, even though it was entirely random. Yeah, just, no, it's just, just it's just, just weird. Going, rocks, 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 rocks. Yeah, but it's it's not even like so they're in the car on the way there, and you know Raj and Howard are both miserable because they're like, oh man, we got lassoed into doing this thing. But yeah, Brian Posehn is the geology lover, is pumped. But yeah, he starts like kind of mid level, like rock, 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 and then you know Raj and while which are both like, I don't know, what the hell is that about? And then he amps up and he's like punching the dashboard like rah, rah. And I'm like I'm reading too much into it because I also know that uh Brian Hossein IRL is like a huge heavy metal fan and I'm like, did he insist on doing something weird as like wanting to rock out in the car or whatever? But in it just it just comes off as unsettling and that feeling is at least a feeling. <laughs> and so, yes. best part of the episode, yes. <laughs> he insisted on turning in a unique performance. Yeah. Yeah. No, he he shined. And so, yeah, that's that's our C plot. And then, to swing way back to the A plot, uh, and the only part two about this whole thing is, you know what? I... I I tried to call the shot that they just were not even going to follow up on this, and and that is not true. But I nonetheless feel proud because I think in discussing what realistically might happen in a scenario where your girlfriend drunkenly out of nowhere says, let's get married, uh, I I talked about that once happening and saying, well, what happens is you wake up the next morning and you're not drunk and you just kind of move on and it's fine. Um, that is exactly what happens here. And so, points to Big Bang Theory for um, speaking directly to my experience and diffusing entirely any concerns about whether the relationship was going to last. By the way, that is cleared up in like the first 30 seconds. Like, Sheldon and Leonard are coming up the stairs, and Sheldon is like, I could not give less of a fuck about your broken heart i'm on vacation i don't know what to do with myself get your life together leonard um and so leonard goes to like confront penny and figure out you know where are we or whatever and penny's like oh yeah no big deal you know we're all into things by the way i'm quitting the cheesecake factory and i'm gonna focus on acting instead and that is now what the episode is about and so that, you know, was there a bridge between episodes? Yes, that's it. It's not a real two-parter. Um, but the remaining, uh, the remainder of the A-plot is Penny being, you know, serious about wanting to commit to acting and um, getting very invested in that. Sheldon, um, out of nowhere, 100% having her back. Um, and just being like, yeah, if you want to achieve a goal, like it's really best to throw yourself in 100%. And so all, like, this is actually something I did like about the episode is that, uh, he and Penny then become besties for the rest of the episode. Cause they're like, yeah, we're the ones who are committed to our dreams and we're Leonard doesn't get it. And, um, Leonard, meanwhile, is 
really shown his ass because uh, yeah, a he... lot of unforced errors on, which I guess is the point of the. Sh- I was saying, you know, Leonard is the character I used to relate to the most on this show because he had like the I'm insecure, but in the way that makes me sort of, if not likable, then at least relatable for the way it's self sabotaging. But at some point, his character is morphed to I'm insecure, and so that just makes me like blurt out dickish comments at inopportune moments which used to be sheldon's thing so it's like kyle maybe this is just a bad midweek thought maybe we should never do this again because while you're saying that you relate to leonard the most i'm gonna say i that's never been i i hate him so much um and i've I've never felt no i don't really i I relate to i related to leonard as a character like basically before his he got together with Penny when he was just like, it's just kind of scary to ask someone out because what if they say no? And now that he's actually with her, I relate to none of the way he is in an actual relationship. Oh yeah. No, he sucks at it. But so, but the thing that, that haunts me as now that I've had the thought and can't unhave it is that I was like, "Mm, God, I kind of see myself as an amalgam of uh, Wallowitz, Raj and Sheldon. And if I'm being honest, like anyone but Leonard, well, not just in an anyone but way, but I'm like, ah, yeah, I'm obnoxious and pervy, and uh, but also I I really love cooking, and I'm not traditionally masculine in, uh, in in like a testosterone kind of sense, and also I am annoying and standoffish and and and, and, d- and direct in an unsettling way. And I feel busted open. I feel like... Yeah, and you put some... a few drinks in you and you become violently misogynist. Oh, of course. Yes. That's... And then at one point I just say, no, that's not me anymore. And everyone goes, we accept that. That's We're just going to move on. <laughs> we're over that part. Yeah, but, you know, to, to get back to the actual plot and the, the unforced errors is... You know, it, this is one of those things where, I, again, I thought it was, like, theoretically good. It just didn't feel effective. And maybe that's unfair because, you know, what? how is it supposed to work if, if it's doing what I think it should do? But um, Penny does call out Leonard's behavior, which is, she says, you keep saying that you support me, but everything else that you say and do is the opposite. Like... You seem freaked out that I quit my job. You seemed incredibly relieved when you thought I was going to do it. Uh, when I thought I, when you thought I hadn't actually quit yet, uh, you you were not psyched about my acting prospects. Um, and who boy, Kyle? Like when you said things got resolved, this is one of those points where I'm like, they talk about that. Does he just apologize and that's the end of it, or is there anything more than that? No, I I can't remember. I literally. And it's a weird, I know it's might be just... unprofessional of me, but I literally don't remember how, like, I remember no, If you Sheldon don't making... remember, this isn't just, no, this, it can't like, be both of us. I, I remember Sheldon making the joke about, like, yeah, you guys need to figure out where we're all going to live, if you're together or not. And they've sort of, yeah. like, And everyone kind of storms off, right? And then the next thing I know, they're in the car, like... Well, there's the there's the comic book shop joke, and then there's they're in the car, and I literally don't. Does that scene just end with them all staring at each other? There is a so I am cannot believe it. I'm relying on the extended version of the fan wiki to fact check the episode, 
Because, yeah, maybe you and I just went to the dreaming for a little bit. <laughs> but the final line here is, finally, Leonard tells her that he is on her side and that he would never have cur- the courage she oh, exhibits quitting right. her job yes, to follow. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. No, that was... Is I, that about... I, yeah, because I remember, like, yes, I remember thinking, oh, that's sweet, if kind of cliche, and then I immediately forgot about it. Well, I guess I toned it out because, yeah, it's what I remember more and something, again, that I theoretically liked is that as Penny is calling Leonard out about this and Leonard is this kind of like, um, Sheldon uh, is still besties with Penny and in the room. They were doing yoga before. And you know what? This is, I, I it didn't bug me. Well, actually, it did bug me at the time. <laughs> so the, this, the, one of the final scenes, it starts with... Um, Penny and Sheldon doing yoga together. And it's fine. And yoga, I mean, uh, uh, Sheldon is like, oh, yeah, fun fact about yogis is some of them can, like, suck fluids into their genitals, such as their control over their body. And, yeah, Penny is like, oh, yeah, that's odd, moves on. You know, basic uh, fun interaction. But then um, Leonard comes home. The confrontation starts. Leonard is like, you guys are doing yoga together? And Sheldon says something like, oh, to be honest, I thought oh she said Yoda. God. And I'm like, that, what are you, I what? I screamed out loud. Me too. Okay, it's, glad it's not just me. It's such a stupid joke. joke. It's awful. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no. Like, what What could she have possibly said? Hey, Sheldon, um, you, you want to do try Yoda doing with Yoda me? with me? And Sheldon is like, oh, Penny, I've been waiting for you to ask. Like, And she gets the mats out, and he's like, mm, I'm glad you brought the proper equipment, and gets into her, like, fitness gear and he's like oh god we're really committing to this and then they just start stretching and he's like wait a second you know i take it back it's a good joke they should have just had that entire interaction it's a great joke kyle they left it up to our imaginations and won't let my imagination take over i love it excellent show (sighs) no it stinks that yoda line i'm glad that like it's one of those it's like it just turned my nose up and it's like no (laughs) it's just it's the perfect example of the kind of joke that this show is famous for, like, wine... Because it's not actually a joke. It's just a reference to a nerd thing. Oh, actually, you know, that reminds me. This is another non-joke. I feel like, I feel like the joke is just... Yeah, nerds will do anything if you make the night... If you make a nerd reference. Say Yoda and all the nerd boys will jump off a cliff. There's Yoda in, <laughs> There's Yoda in this punch bowl, says David Koresh. Now drink deep and die. Well, you know, it's... I don't think they were trying to make this connection at all, but it is silly to think that Sheldon somehow, yeah, is so suggestible that he could mishear Yoda out of context or in a weirdly horny context that he's been wanting to have fulfilled. Um, but also at the beginning of the episode, totally jumped over this, is that Sheldon's miserable about being on vacation. Uh, he, he's forced to use his vacation time as a situation. Leonard goes to work like normal. Sheldon starts following him out. And Leonard, um, you know, is like, don't follow. It's Sheldon exactly like a dog. And he really, they committed to this so much more than I expected. You know, he, he's like following. He's looking. He gets told no. And then he like sits down on the stairs and uh, even like gives a little whine. And, you know, big crowd moment. And then later when Penny is is coming home and up the stairs, He's still just sitting there. And Penny's like, hey, what are you doing there? Like, Leonard told me to stay. He's like, is this a new thing about you, Sheldon? You're hyper-literal. 
Yeah. Well, like, I guess he's always been slightly hyperliteral, but yeah, like you can't, like you've lost your, uh, your capacity, your capacity for like self-direction. What's going on? Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, oh, I, I hate to point out the, the incongruity here, but it, He's earlier in the episode, like, even before this interaction, playing about, oh my god, I'm just gonna have to tuck into a book and have some tea and really just be miserable through this whole thing. So it's not like he is completely directionless without Leonard, but yeah, just told to stay, and they're like, oh, this is the episode where Sheldon's gonna pretend he's a dog. That's gonna be his thing. Um, And it's like, it's a persistent joke throughout the episode. Now, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't connect directly in any way to the Yoda thing. It's, just, it's weird to me that at two different points in the episode, they're like, you know, maybe Sheldon's actually pretty fucking stupid. And, like, just well, doesn't understand that, there's things. Also, there's just a lot of bad... I mean, even for the, the... the There was also the one where he's sassing the guided meditation. Ah! Like, I forgot about that! <laughs> he's just bitching about how the guided meditation is telling him to breathe in and then breathe out. Well, yeah, because it's too predictable. Like, oh, breathe in. What's going to come next? Out. Saw that coming. It's like, what is this? Why? Like, is this just, is this a shitty Sheldon? Is this like, I have to go on vacation, and so I'm just going to be a brat. I don't know. It's so, anywho, the, the, to go, because we're just all over the place. I was going to go back and say, like, the interaction between Penny Leonard and, um, Sheldon during the relationship confrontation that's that's what I did theoretically like the most I wish it were funnier but I did really like the idea that Sheldon like not just because he's unawares but because he like legitimately sees this relationship as in like their relationship that he is a part of it (laughs) that as the two of as Penny and Leonard are trying to like hash out their you know what actually are we kind of thing, which they don't. Um, I guess they agree to talk about it more. I don't want to see that either. I want hijinks. But as all that's happening, Sheldon is like, no, you don't get it. Like, this is what your role is. This is how you two take care of me. Um, yes. And they don't really brush him away as much as they're like, all right, well, we didn't see this coming, but here we are. So, anywho. Oh, and then... I guess last thread is, um, what's her bucket? Bernadette uh, apparently burns one of Wallowitz's comic books with a uh, uh, curling iron. I don't know shit about comics, but I was like, is that some Dark Knight something? I don't know. Yeah, so obviously I can. So uh, it's interesting because I can tell by your tone this was the one you were the least invested in, which is funny because this is the only plot in this entire episode I cared about. For oh. niche reasons. Well, there was one joke I also really liked for niche reasons. Was it the one with the box of medications that on was the counter? Absolutely the one. <laughs> well, and and so yeah, this plot is yeah. So she she burns one of his comics and goes to. And yes, it was the two weird things about that really quick, which sure. is, uh, she pulls out a copy of the Dark Knight Returns and and I guess for 
television reasons, just no one names that. Like, that is what it is. It's easy to recognize from the cover with Batman and the lightning bolt in the background. Yeah. It's, it's a very iconic cover. But for some reason, they won't just say the name of the comic. They do acknowledge that it's a Batman comic, but they just won't say the name of it. And that itself is weird to me. Like, when have you ever, like, even in most shows where there's, like, a book, someone reads the title of the book. That's what you do when you pull something out of a bag and hand it to someone. They go, oh, this is, you know... A Tale of Two Cities, where this is Batman The Dark Knight Returns. So I just thought it was weird that she's like, I have this comic book. And he goes, yes, this is a comic book. Oh, I think I have this one. Uh, but that's probably some weird, like, what if we can't get clearance to say the name of the comic thing? Maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah. But even, even weirder than that, and this is probably just my brain being insane that it even bothers to me, but she hands him the comic book. She pulls it out of the bag upside down fine she hands it to him upside down upside down he takes it from her like she doesn't know which way is the right side way not backwards not like with the front on the back but like literally with the writing upside down who does that well if i if i hand you any if i hand you a book in what universe would i hand you that book upside down so I, I think I, I see what's happening here and what what I think the issue is is that you are looking at this as someone that is in fact presenting you with book reading material etc that the other person is meant to look at and see and be able to read among, upon immediately picking it up because it's it is right side up from their point of view but I think the reason that Bernadette doesn't do this is because to her, it's a piece of fucking garbage. <laughs> and she's like, how do I replace this plastic thing with paper in it? I don't know. I guess it has ideas about men in leather. So I don't know. I did not see that as, as nearly of a sociopathic thing as you did. But um, I just thought it was like bad acting. <laughs> Well, I'm not. You can't bad, rule that out. Bad uh, fidelity. Like, I'm not calling Bernadette a bad actor. Just bad, like bad, bad object work. Yeah, yeah. No, but, I like Bernadette fine, but no, yeah, the fidelity. I think that's a good way of putting it. It's like I've seen a lot of these interactions in comic book shop. If you watch the docu series uh, Comic Book Men, they had this interaction about 15 times an episode. And it was always the same. Someone pulls something out of the bag and they show it to the other person. And they're like, oh, this is, you know, issue 17 of The Flash. Ah, yes, I remember this one. Well, you know, you also just reminded me, you know, like thinking about um, proper object work. I saw this pretty short clip recently of Danny DeVito. He plays, you know, some sort of kind of a inhospitable old man in a in a in a play and part of the scene he was describing is he's he's having an interaction with somebody while eating a boiled egg and so the whole clip is just about him describing how he is able to eat an egg and speak and do his scene all at once and he says something which is um you know I like to bite right into the yolk because that's the most dramatic part of the egg. And I'm like, fuck Danny DeVito, you're right. Like, that's <laughs> what? 
Like, uh, never yeah. would have thought of that. But yeah, what are you doing if you're not getting right into that yoke? Yeah. And so to think that, like, Danny DeVito, yeah, exactly. The big bucks is like, I got to know how to make this egg work for me. And Bernadette is like, you want this fucking thing? You know, I don't know what it is. Yeah, that's that's a big distinction. But yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that and making me feel less crazy. But anyway, the comic book is busted. She melted the front of it. He has to uh, replace it. So he has to – and he doesn't have a copy, so they have to go to his rival comics, comic yeah, the, book the shop. The big, handsome, successful comic book shop, uh, which I don't remember the guy's name. But it's weird because – well, I guess it's not that weird. It's – you know, his shop has music and snacks and coffee and is well-attended and well-lit. And he himself – I was about to say charming. Not true. Handsome. Um, but a real, real shithead. And not like he's trying to be a little stinker, but he's he's just too mean. Yeah, because, totally unlikable. Yeah, yeah. And so Stuart, to help Bernadette, is like, the guy is a sleaze and he'll totally try to rip you off, so I should go with you. Uh, I'm not so proud that I don't think you shouldn't buy from him, but I, you know... He, he's actually doing a nice thing here. Um, and not like he hasn't been nice before. He just usually doesn't have anything to do. And so I think this is maybe the most Stuart has done in an episode. <laughs> and so he does accompany her there. And the other comic book guy is a, not just like generally a douchebag, but specifically is like, I know about you, Stuart. You're a failure. And when you're not around, I just jack off thinking about how much worse your business is. <laughs> and it's that's weird. And yeah. uh, he literally makes a soup kitchen joke. Well, so and that's frustrating for me because I thought that was actually a pretty good one. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, that's where um, you know, I, I trying to give bernadette directions or something is like you know unless you want to go to the local soup kitchen you can ask this guy oh no fuck i fucked it up i can't do it right it was too good (laughs) says this guy doesn't know where the local soup kitchen is oh yeah no yeah he does haha and Stuart's like yeah i do anyway um bernadette being a true homie is like you know what you're a prick i don't even want to buy this i don't know what i am gonna do but it's you know, whatever it is, it's not going to be with you. And they, and they storm out. And um, Stuart has a line about how, like, mm, you see, that's what you don't have that I do. Friendship. And I would give it all up for your life in an instant. But, and then this is all canceled out when, not even in real joke scene, other than that Bernadette is so bullish about it. But she comes back later and is like, I need this comic right away. And I'm just going to pay it. And you're going to give it to me. And then I'm done. And. It's like, all right, well, sold out your friend, but you got what you needed. He just wasn't around. That's fine, I guess. Yeah, you betrayed him, and it'll only it'll take some time for him to find out about it. Yeah, yeah, and it's one of those. If it were funnier, if there were like a good joke about it, that'd be great. But as what is effectively the resolution of that plot, it's kind of like, all right. I mean, I, I guess we know that Bernadette. You know, isn't isn't consistent in her principles. Is that yeah, hilarious? Which is not surprising anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, with that wildly meandering description, I think that basically covers all the 
major in most of the minor points but i don't know well, we should go back and we should mention the joke that because when she's first trying to bribe him or when she's first trying to get him to help and he says it's going to take some time to track it down she's like you know i work for a pharmaceutical oh yes company. no that's this was a big weird joke sorry please please continue she goes if you if you help me i can get you all i can get you all kinds of uh anxiety med- anti-anxiety medications and depression medications and he goes oh really do you have anything like this? And he just empties an entire, like literally, like a a giant, like old timey construction workers like Pretty lunchbox, full much bigger of than a shoebox, bigger than bottles. a couple shoeboxes. <laughs> yeah, his entire collection of pills that he has to take to make it through the day. Well, and as someone who does, quite frankly, also have to take a lot of pills to make it through the day, I thought those pills are cheap. Those are the drugs you're going to bribe me with. <laughs> Yeah, the pills that I get through insurance that just kind of level me out. No, no, like I want something that like makes me forget that I not only that I need these pills in the first place, but that I ever was. That makes me think I'm part of the ground for a couple hours. And she can get me that. Which, by the way, um, I'm not going to recommend Barbie because I thought it was fine. Um, I did take mushrooms before watching Barbie. But apparently they were old garbage mushrooms and it didn't do anything. And so, like, for the first half of Barbie, I just had anxiety about whether I was going to get high. And for the second half of Barbie, I kind of had disappointment that I wasn't <laughs> high. <laughs> I'm sorry. That does sound... I'm laughing, but that does sound like a bit of a bummer. That wasn't terrible, you know. Fucking Ryan Reynolds helped me get through it all, so... And Margot Robbie's great too, but like Ryan Reynolds really goes out of his way in that movie. Uh, Brian Gosling. Ryan Reynolds is. Oh my god, I betrayed myself with the name of the enemy. <laughs> yes, Ryan Gosling. I think um, I had I had Ryan Reynolds on the brink because I saw some photo earlier today of him and Melissa Joan Hart on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And I was like. I wonder if he was less unlikable then so much more innocent was he as obnoxious or is that something he had to develop over the years you just don't like people who have any sense of self-confidence i like ryan gosling and that man's incredible he's a humble man though uh, well you know, uh, humility and confidence uh, are not uh exclusive That's fair. you just I don't hate... like you just i, I hate yeah. ryan reynolds because his entire shtick is like <laughs> I'm not really serious about anything ever, and it's all a little sarcastic, isn't it? Like, I love my mom, don't I? <laughs> the old bitch. I'm just joking, but I'm not, am I? <laughs> I'm just so charming. This is really the only level I'm ever on. Am I a hitman? I'm kind of funny as it. Am I a murderer? That's no different than a hitman. Am I your boyfriend? Forget the other two things, because I'm still in this. Just kind of, haha, fuck you. I didn't mean it. Yes, I did, Mode. I really hate him. <laughs> it is kind of well. Then you should watch uh, Welcome to Wrexham. It is a lot of him in it, and it, you might think, well, I why would I want to watch a show where Ryan Reynolds gets set up as the as the hero? But it is actually a pretty. What's really funny is it's that sh- that show is really just Rob McElhenney dragging Ryan Reynolds to he- like through a hellish pit of anxiety with him as he basically uses he tricks ryan reynolds into giving him way too much money to start a football team which may or may not pay off and it may or turn out to be a huge financial drain and burden and so you're just watching ryan reynolds trying to maintain that calm smug 
uh, posture while the whole time, you know, he runs the risk of probably not losing his shirt, but, you know, losing millions of dollars on a basically because, you know, Rob McElhenney is a sincere and hardworking human being who is hard to say no to. I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll see if the schadenfreude I may experience is enough to, to overcome my disdain for him. That Ryan Gosling, though, let me tell you. Yeah, we love, yeah. We love him. He is more than Knuth. Yeah, yeah, he is. Oh, boy. Um, hey, The Nice Guys, right? What a great movie. Well, I mean, that's fantastic. That's, I mean, that to me is, is peak Reynolds. I'm like, God damn it again! <laughs> <laughs> he lives in your mind. Ah, oh, you will no. never get him out. <laughs> the parasites. <laughs> Moving on. Anything else about this actual episode? Nope. All right. Well, we can call it done. Let's, let's move on to things we enjoy and let's see if what we enjoy on a Wednesday is any different. And, um, you know, I don't know if I've got a super solid one. I've, there's a few things that I've really liked. Yeah, I'm going to commit to one. So that's how I'm doing. I can tell go me, first. Tell me about something you really like because I got nothing. Sure. So um, last week I saw the most recent in... Uh, this this long line of A24 horror movies, which is titled Talk to Me. And um, I found it refreshing in that I think it, it really... Uh, it doesn't conform to the A24 mold in that it's actually, con- it's actually fairly scary... And isn't really exclusively about someone just processing their trauma. <laughs> now, it is very much still about um, someone <laughs> processing their trauma. You can't, you can't wipe that clean. It's just that the balance is so much better. And um, to describe it without trying to give any plot spoilers here, uh, it's also very Australian. Not relevant, except if you want those Aussie accents, they are all over the place. What I was really looking out for and didn't see is uh, in another Australian movie, some sort of... I can't remember the name of it, I really love it. It was like a Christmas slasher thing. But that was filmed in Australia, and I noticed... Uh, well, all, all my friends that were watching it noticed that the doorknobs on all the doors were like five feet high. And we're like, Dude, are they filming this in a giant's house? But apparently there's like some very specific period in Australian decoration or architecture where they're like, yeah, no, these doorknobs have to be crazy. That's going to be our thing. And so um, there weren't any of those. I, I'm sad to report. <laughs> and these are the most important things about the film, obviously. But the actual um, basic plot is that a group of no-good teens – or you know, actually, pretty ordinary teens, and they're and they're in their late teens, uh, except for a couple younger brothers. Uh, they learn of a meme phenomenon, whatever you want to call it, happening around their school, where people are at parties, filming each other and themselves interacting with this weird ceramic hand and then um kind of losing their minds for a few moments 
saying they're they're seeing dead people and then acting as if they're possessed and writhing about boogie 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 and uh everyone loves it and it's hilarious and it's the hottest shit oh but but could it last forever was it never to go awry was there something sinister all along at work behind this fun teen party game i dare not say more um but yeah like Again, to not really give away anything else, but to try to show sufficient praise. It's... I I do like the other A20 horror, horror films a lot. I don't like the category that is developed called elevated horror. Some people shouldn't say it exists at all. And while I might agree, I think it does nonetheless. And that it basically describes the A24 kind of movies, which are very, very thoughtful and character-driven and usually don't rely as much on traditional spooky-ooky scares or horrors as much as they do kind of, you know, off-putting or unsettling jostlings, you know, unless you're like, roughly 30 minutes into hereditary and they go jesus christ um but aside from that my least favorite a24 film yeah we we saw that together and i remember you were like this wasn't a good time for me (laughs) sorry man thanks for coming but oof um and so but but again it is i think it is not like those it very much um more about i don't know kind of consistent um not to say not at all intense, because it can be pretty scary, but like not something that is like meant to burn just like the most traumatic possible image into your mind. And is more about like, oh god, what a horrifying thing we're dealing with. What will it be? Ah, ah. Like it's 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 you know, there's a real bad way of putting it, but it's the phrase that comes to mind. It's like it's so much easier pill to swallow. Like it's it's a horror movie that I think could be much more casually enjoyed without worry about whether you're going to come away from it like uh, like you did from Hereditary. So, And like I said, I don't want to spoil anything. I did really enjoy it. Uh, talk to me. It's fun. Watch it. Your turn. See, now, while you were talking, I thought of like three different things I should recommend, and now I don't know which one to do. Well, think um, of whichever one has the most interesting um, doorknobs. I think I'll do the one that's most relevant to sort of uh, this podcast, actually. Uh, although I'm sure it gets to any podcast probably that talks about sitcoms has talked about this show. Uh, my partner Gwen has been watching uh, this show, Kevin Can Fuck Himself. And I have uh, basically been watching bits and pieces of it over her shoulder. And it's, you know, it's pretty good. Are you familiar with the premise of Kevin Can Fuck Himself? Nick? No, I don't think so. Actually, when you first thought it, said it, I thought you were just being mean and making a joke about Kevin Can Wait. So no, I don't think I heard of this. And actually, I thought it was a pretty good joke about Kevin Can Wait, but it turns out that was just a misinterpretation. Well, it can't be. My guess is it is not a coincidence that the show is called uh, Kevin Can Fuck Himself because it is probably – it is basically a deconstruction of uh, a prototypical type of sitcom – uh, of which men play, men named Kevin are a major are the main character. Uh, so that is <laughs> okay. I'm already I'm already on board. <laughs> okay, 
So uh, let me look. Uh, so the the main ca- how do I describe this? Uh, so the hook is essentially uh, there are two main characters. There's this dude named Kevin and his wife, whose name I can't remember, but she's played by um, Annie Murphy from Schitt's Creek. Uh, you know, the girl who's Alexis on Schitt's Creek. Only okay. in this, in this, she is not. Uh, you know, she's not some some fun flirty blonde. She's this very believable. So the, I should start out. The show is set in I think uh, the this place outside of uh, this place in Massachusetts, outside of Boston, where everyone is terrible. So just imagine. <laughs> I know, hard to imagine, right? But just imagine this white trash wasteland somewhere just outside of Boston, where like half of the people are on meth, and you know. Uh, but there are still some people eking out middle-class lives just barely. Um, and so she plays a pretty believable, like, you know, Bostonian in that sense, who's married to this guy. And here's the funny – here's basically the pitch. When we're seeing things from Kevin's perspective, it is a classic sitcom. It is, you know, three-camera – or no, I'm sorry. Yeah, it is, it is three-camera. It is laugh track. It is wacky guy and his best friend and his skeptical slash slightly naggy harridan of a wife. And he is constantly coming up with schemes like in the pilot. He's trying to figure out how to throw a party that will impress his boss. And, you know, it has to be a good party to impress his boss. But it also just happens to be his anniversary. So he has to do something to keep her distracted while he's impressing his boss. And, you know, can he pull it all off and will his best friend help him and will, you know, things you know will he be able to land the promotion that's from his perspective from her perspective it is all very real Mm. it is a it is a straightforward almost breaking bad like level portrayal of her life as dealing with this narcissist of a man who has taken everything from her and gaslit her and driven all of her friends away with how obnoxious and you know uh, juvenile he is, you know, and has never, like, basically has monopolized so much of her life that she's never g- gotten a real job, doesn't have any real control over their finances. And so, without spoiling too much, at the end of the first episode, she finds out, you know, just another thing that he has done that has actually, you know, screwed her over and robbed her of a chance to have any kind of happiness in the relationship that they're in. And she's like, no. I can't do it anymore. It's not enough to divorce this man. I have to kill him and make it look like an accident. So the entire rest of the show, so that's the rest of the Pretty show, it, is him having, like, is just cutting back and forth between him being like, la, 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 I'm in a sitcom. What dumb shit can I do this week? And her being like, does anyone have a good hookup for fentanyl so that I can spike his, so that I can, you know, inject him with fentanyl in the riddle of the night and make it look like an OD? Because I need this man to die drowning in his own vomit. He is a parasite in my mind, and he must he must not just die he must suffer while he dies this is a very silly thing but Kyle I think a few moments ago I meant to say in the middle of the night you said in the riddle of the night which I like better I (laughs) that is a phrase that I think I'm just going to think on for a while (laughs) but well you know and as you're describing this more I'm realizing I had heard of this I just totally forgotten about the name I think maybe they talked about it on Red Letter Media, and to kind of cut to the 
what would normally talk about at the very end here is where do you actually watch the thing? I see it's on AMC Plus. Is that a separate service I have to get if I want to watch this? Uh, well, yes. So the ah! well, but here's the good news: we are in the middle of a writer's strike, which means this is one of the few times in history where I think really ethically, you're on the right side of history if you just. If you just know your way around the... If you just happen to find... Much like the show itself, watching this through legitimate channels will only, you know, enable parasites who prey off the creativity and beauty of others. So, for at least the next couple of months until everybody comes back to the table and agrees on streaming residuals, I don't think there's anything ethically compromised about just going and finding, you know... But clicking a little box on a little website that lets you download all the episodes and watch them on your computer or TV. That's what I've been doing. I support everything you said, and I would not limit it to the writer's strike. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. So we've got Kevin Can Fuck Himself, Talk To Me, and Dr. Lim out in L.A. as our <laughs> recommendations. And he... Any final He'll never forget thoughts? about you, Nick. What if there? What if it? What if you found out one day that it was just you? <laughs> <laughs> what if it's not anyone? What if it was just Nick Hyde? There's a special little. You go into that place and you go in the back, and there's just a little photo of you with your mouth open. Yeah, <laughs> framed in a shrine with candles. <laughs> Jesus. Why me? You know, it's pretty uncommon for an adult to have all of their wisdom teeth. Like, is it that uncommon? Like, there's many things about you that are uncommon, Mr. Hyde. Like, oh, no. <laughs> oh. What if they had a plan for you? What if it was like a get-out scenario, and they had a whole plan, and then you went away, you took it all away, and they just want you—they just need you to come back in the office one more time. If you you just mean there, there's someone out time, there? There's someone out there work. like give him the specialty so I can steal his body and most importantly his jacked grill. Like I got teeth, they work fine. They don't look great. Like that's, but you know, I guess I take for granted. You know, other people. You know, they don't have chompers at all. You know, they got, they got even worse ones than I do. So, you know, hey, I'm learning to appreciate my own mouth more. Thank this you, is, Dr. Lin. Yeah, net positive. Thank you, Dr. Lim.